Welcome to the Tria Prima podcast, a podcast about Freemasonry and the Western esoteric tradition. I'm Pat here with Jake and Jamie. First time in a while being in the same room. What's going on? For a podcast. Hi. This is nice. I've missed this, guys. Yeah, we're in a room together sharing some beverages. It's been uh, months. We've been busy. We have been busy. <clears throat> We've been stringing everyone along. A lot of big stuff ha- happened this past couple months. Dude, Pat's a master mason. I am now a master mason, the sublime degree. Yeah, and uh, raised by um, by Jamie and Jake, I both guys in the same lodge. Yeah, Jamie was the worshipful master for my third degree. That was quite the event. Yeah, you're one of uh, two people, only two people. <clears throat> yeah, well, three. No, no yeah, I didn't raise. Uh, oh, you, that's right. You didn't. Uh, you didn't raise Pat Mike. or Mike. That's right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, that guy, I, I've got a, I think I'm going to be doing soon my first article for Tria Prima, and it's going to be about, um, I think it's going to be about me being a, a product of the Masonic Restoration and um, yeah, kind of what, what, that's, what that's been like, kind of from uh, the outside looking in. I think that'll be a popular blog um, or paper that... You want to write it for yeah. Tria Prima? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I think that will do really well, seeing as it seems like there are a lot of guys probably in your position coming into the craft, kind of with the interests that you have, you know? Yeah, yeah a lot of people don't, I mean, rather very few people uh, have had the experience you've had to where you don't even know what your typical 20th century uh, Blue Lodge kind of feels like or looks like. You don't know anything about uh, excessive readings of minutes during stated communication. Every stated communication you've ever been to, there's an education piece. We've right. handled all the perfunctory uh, business and stuff on an, in an outside meeting. So you get this streamlined experience at a stated that, you know, like a lot of us are have been been saying to you uh you might consider traveling and seeing some other lodges you know yeah definitely need to do that mm. yeah well so so today we we're not gonna it? be talking about free that's that's like the extent of the freemasonry talk probably for tonight we're we're gonna be talking about um a subject that's a big passion of both of yours and for me has very much not something I know much about at all. And that's astrology, right? Right. Well, mm-hmm. if you remember, like, it was I, it was one of our first three episodes, I think. We recorded an astrology episode, but something was messed up about the audio. It was the first, first days of the pandemic. It was the first one we tried to do over Zoom, and Zoom just kind of, like, ate the recording. Dang, like, I, do we know the date on that? We should be, like backdating that and doing an electional chart for that there's a reason for that (laughs) yeah but i I remember i what i what i remember of the episode though is we started off the first thing we did is you were like let's just name all the things let's just name all of the um skeptical reasons skeptical reasons to be skeptical about about astrology and we we named about 10 of them and then then we went from there i just that's the only thing i remember is that's kind of how it started it was and that was your idea but well, I know that I know that I've changed a great deal awesome. in the past couple of years since then, and I probably would have said some cringy things 
that now I would look back and be like, I. That's I, what I, I'm saying. I would definitely say I'm glad I it didn't I'm not happen in that same place. You're not in the same place. That's great. I'm right. glad it didn't work out back then. Right. So, 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 so you, we're gonna do we're gonna do two parts on this. Yeah, this will be a two parter. Um, and I think the first one was the idea of just kind of tackling the the philosophy and the the larger maybe macro idea of it, and then the second one being more of the micro, being more of the technical how to. Yeah. So we did say that um, people should go back if they haven't listened to our Hermetic Cosmology episode. That will give you a leg up on the rest of the astrological stuff because we went through the whole um, cosmological model that, you know, the Earth in the center, though it's not geocentric, it's geo-referential, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The Earth at the center consisting of the four elements... And then the planetary spheres outside of that concentrically enveloping it, like the moon through Saturn, uh, nested. The Earth is nested within these etheric spheres. And then outside of that is the sphere of the fixed stars in the zodiac. And then outside of that is, you know, deposit your whatever your idea of a prime mover is. And so... Um- See would, discourse would, on the eighth and ninth. Would it would it be worthwhile to kind of talk about sympathies? I remember that was a thing that we we talked about quite a bit during the cosmology one. Sympathies like, and kind of the sympathies from. Oh, we could do that in part two of. Yeah, this. I think that's that's more of a we're jumping ahead conversation. Gotcha. Right? Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, Jamie, I'm gonna let you. Why don't you lead with this? I'll, and uh, well, we can st- we can say what is astrology, and okay. I can give a definition I like, which is. Uh, the study of the the study of the interpretation of celestial events and phenomena in the terrestrial domain. So let me let me clean that up a bit. Um, <clears throat> astrology is the study of celestial events and phenomena and how they are mirrored on the terrestrial sphere in human life or in in terrestrial life so like so like if you see a certain planet is conjunct another planet and they're in a certain sign you know that has a meaning on the terrestrial sphere you know, it's like it's mirror. It's hermetically mirrored here on the earth in our activities, you know, and and we'll get into like next episode what a natal chart is, how that is like a snapshot of the cosmos at the time of your birth. Right. But uh, <clears throat> I think for this episode, it's more about big picture ideas and maybe the philosophy uh, that that supports astrology so what maybe tie this uh tie this to you i want to know why this is such an important part of your study um well this started about 10 years ago but i was looking at it from the cosmological perspective because i got turned on to it from robert hewitt brown's stellar theology and masonic astronomy which i've talked about a bazillion times and that was so moving to me that I started to, um, uh, you know, look for that pattern elsewhere and kind of those patterns and kind of like, um, 
you know, just sort of uh, try and see things from that perspective, a precessional perspective, let's say, like a body of symbolism belonging to a certain time bears the stamp of a certain precessional age, you know, so it was really not astrology, it was more cos symbolism and cosmology, you know, how that sort of plays out culturally and how that informs um, the symbolism of any given group during a period of time, you know, uh, in that case, specifically the, the Masons and Freemasonry and how it was colored by this Torian age symbolism, <clears throat> right? When the fixed signs of the Zodiac inhabited the solstices and equinoxes, you know, so that has meaning for us as Freemasons. Uh, I read that in Robert Ewitt Brown. You can read it elsewhere. It was a Probably 25% of my first book, Myth, Magic, and Masonry, dealt with that particular um, <clears throat> perspective. And I had, you know, I had advanced my own ideas in that. I, I certainly built off of Robert Ewitt Brown and cited him extensively. But, you know, there was, a, there was a lot of ground he hadn't covered that got into my first book. But so that, so then it was only really... If we're just talking me personally, it was only really two, three years ago when I read. Remember when I read Dane Rudyard's Astro Astrology of Personality? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It it blew me away. You know, it was just like so uh, um, penetrative and just like s such a cool system that didn't upset my worldview at all. You know, and my world worldview has changed drastically since then, like 180 degrees, because uh, pretty much, right? And it's due to my studies in astrology. I think you can't study astrology um, without, and if you, no, let's say this, you can't study astrology seriously um, without it affecting your worldview and your baseline fundamental philosophy on life. It will it will change you. Okay, well... <clears throat> is that fair, Jake? Oh, I think so. Yeah. My entryway was was Dane Rudyard because of your recommendation. And then I went, you know, Brennan's class and George's, Demetri George's work and Ben Dykes and all that. Just kind of went down the rabbit hole. But I think the, the 180 for me was... Like hard and fast into psychological Dane Rudyard stuff, right? And then and then you jump into something like Brennan's class, and it's it's that's a one eighty. Yeah. So so I I kind of want to hear about what that one eighty was like. What maybe before we kind of get into the philosophy at all, but maybe kind of talk no, about. No, that's a good bridge actually. We'd because, have to get into the philosophy to talk about. That. Yeah, okay. because when we talk about Brennan's class, which we which we've both done. Um, that's that's what we're gonna get into. That's classical astrology. Okay. That's Hellenistic astrology. So when we talk about Dane Rudyard and reading something like psychological astrology, that's that's relatively modern. You know, it's okay. like what is that? A hundred hundred years ago? Rudyard wrote Astrology of Personality. I want to say just about a hundred years. Yeah. Ago. So you know, compared to two thousand years for. Um, the the sort of techniques that you learn when you you when you're 
delving into Hellenistic astrology or, or ancient classical astrology, whatever you want to call it. Well, so. let's do the Rudyard thing first. So I think what attracted you and I to Rudyard's work, Jake, was that um, that he had, what I thought was fascinating was that he had this idea of the algebra of archetypes, right? He, he, he viewed astrology, its symbolism, you know, as a sort of algebra of these archetypes, right? So it's, yes, it's in the vein of, you know, he's taking some cues from depth psychology and Jungian psychoanalysis, et cetera. Which makes sense given that timeline, 100 yeah. years ago, right? Like, that's about the time that you get that that sort of psychology really be gaining prominence, I guess. And that's what I meant by it didn't upset my standing personal paradigm at that time. You know, and we're talking a mere, let's say, three years ago, more than two, less than three. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah. And there's been a massive change. So speaking about that 180 degree change, going from something like Rudyard, where he's in this what you can te technically call something like a post theosophical psychologized astrology. And what I mean by this archetypal al algebra is that let's say you just take the you look at a chart an astrological chart a natal chart a mundane chart whatever it is you look at that chart and you could see that that for instance um saturn is in aquarius on the fifth house making some sort of aspect to venus um in in pisces on the fourth house or whatever no well that wouldn't quite work but you know what i'm saying so so what happens is, is you algebraize the how can i make a word there's the algebraization of that which is um you know what saturn means as an archetypal concentration right saturn means um contraction circumscription uh structure form things like that you know that venus is like aesthetics the arts beauty love these certain ideas so you have these um glyphs the glyph for saturn and the glyph for venus and they're in an aspectual relationship which is to say they're making a um regular polygonal relationship on the ecliptic you know a square a trine a sextile whatever and you know depending on the quality of that aspect let's say it's a square let's say saturn and venus are square you know what saturn and venus mean as archetypal concentrations they're in a square relationship which is a hard aspect means meaning that there's some dissonance there and then you find what houses they are in and the houses are the domains of action Right, which we'll get into the next episode. This sort of I'm just giving this sure. quick because we don't want to do yeah. the whole nuts and bolts yet. But then you can algebraize that if that's the word, right? Um, and you can like make an make an expression out of it in the algebraic sense. You know, you can look at it and make an expression that that has potentially a solution to it. You know, so R R Rudyard dealt a lot with that, you know, and 
it was an archetypal thing, like we said, coming out of depth psychology. But I felt that that was really meaty and easy to grab onto. Hence that attraction, you know, to that particular type of astrology. But then, Jake, I think you and I probably had the same sort of sort of paradigm shift, right? Um, like mine, I'll just tell you real quick. Mine was um, I went from this um, psychological, post-theosophical sort of uh, astrology of Rudyard particularly. Then all of a sudden it shifted to um, I believe in an enchanted cosmos that is peopled by demons and angels and jinn and there's an objectivity to these entities now i will say this and i don't mind tipping my hand uh regarding this i did also do uh dimethyltryptamine around that time and probably before then as well i don't care about saying that right i've ritualistically used dimethyltryptamine so that also fed into this equation of this paradigm shift, this personal paradigm shift, which resulted in where I currently am right now, which is, you know, a being living in an animistic, vitalistic, sentient cosmos that is objectively real. It is not a projection of my psyche, and it is an enchanted worldview. So, that happened pretty re embarrassingly recently for me, well, you know? but it was, and it was pretty much overnight. I mean, it, it was a pretty rapid transition, but probably the biggest paradigm shift in my life because of my investigations into astrology. Hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> I think, um, I hadn't spent as much time with, <clears throat> like modern astrology really this has just been a couple as opposed to maybe a decade for jamie it's been more closer to a couple years for me and um obviously being in proximity to, to jamie i'm reading all the books he's reading you know so <clears throat> i start with rudyard what, what's it what's because my trajectory is ne just necessarily the same but um at least within the you know, frame of the last couple of years. However, I, I think the algebra is still applicable. It's just that the variables have changed a little bit, maybe, that no longer is it fully, like, a psychological uh, modality. It's, like, not all psychological. Right. In it's fact, the minority... include that? Yeah, the minority of... <clears throat> and again, like, to stay away from technique, but, like, I, I would say the minority of what's going on in the chart applies to the psyche. Um, so as, as opposed to, you know, outside influence and, and other, you know, areas of, or topics that arise within one's life and that sort of thing that, that aren't necessarily all like the psyche, even, even with regards to the planets or the house, whatever. So <clears throat> I, I think that, that it is still an algebra though. It's, it's hard. I agree that it's, it's hard to like kind of turn away once you, get into the the older stuff the the more traditional stuff because w one uh the results seem to be like pretty accurate once applied so that's argument number one is like once you start doing some delineations and i bet 
had had the listener compare um, modern techniques and modern associations with those of of traditional. See that, that in um, a that's that's one pl- place right there. Before you go further, I think sure. we need to explore that because. Um, like I, I know nothing about astrology, right? Yeah. And and I hear when I hear Jamie talk, when I hear you talk, when I hear some of the other folks we're friends with talk, there's yeah. there is this this thing that comes up a lot of times that there's these multiple versions. There's yeah, let's unpack I mean, that. Like let's like consider for sure consider that I've asked a large portion of our readers or listeners um, are going to hear the word astrology and they're going to think. Hippie. Tab- tabloid astrology. Well, they're, yeah, they're, they're going to think newspaper horoscope. 12, That's kind of what I... 12-letter alphabet. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. So one thing that I want to like make a point of is that the, the same as, as, say, Hermeticism or, or, uh, or Kabbalah or even Masonry, to some extent, there is a technical astrology. There's a philosophical astrology. So there, we do need to make a distinction a bit, and and this is why it's important to go into this before we get into the technique, is that there's the rationale for the technique, which I guess you could you could call the philosophy in a lot of ways, and and that's one thing that resonated with me personally once I started to delve into the traditional stuff is its um its adherence to a hermetic worldview uh, more than and not not in a Kabbalian sense, but true Hermeticism as a when you talk about well Hermes post post theosoph- as you as you said a post theosophical um, sort of astrology. If you go pre theosophical, this uh, this is an astrology that is a lot more ingrained with um, uh, your ones and this is pre Christianity, but um, ones relationship to God. And, and one's own fate and uh, the mitigation of one's own fate is a lot more of a practical thing than I've ever realized. Um, it's a lot more of a literal and objective thing than I think I ever realized. You deal with the biggest problems of philosophy by, by studying astrology because you have, For to, sure. you have to deal with objectivity versus subjectivity. You have to deal with fate and free will or free will and determinism you have to what's bigger than that you have to you have to come up against some of the hugest problems that are frankly unsolved right now to go back a second i don't negate dane rudyard i think it's highly valuable material but my circle and i think yours too jake has expanded beyond that still including that i think the psychological perspective is highly valuable that that did well, not yeah. Diminish. If you can synthesize that with the classical stuff, for sure. Sure, but that circle has expanded, you know. So it's it, there's nothing like you know, cutting something off and throwing it in the trash, you know. Other than the hippie sun sign stuff, and that's why I wasn't particularly interested in astrology until I really started to study it, because what most people encounter as astrology is not really the art. You know what they what they encounter are that the entirety of mankind can be divided up into twelve personality types, which is unrealistic right. and simplistic and just like you know lazy. Yeah, it's a it's a the the system of traditional astrology is much richer 
than what what has seemed to have been popular over the last you know hundred years or so. Okay, so then, um, so what I'm what I'm hearing is that, and what what I still think I have questions about is there's this idea of kind of old astrology, and then there's this kind of modern astrology. How is there like what's that difference there? Um, why is there why is there a difference? Is it is yeah. it vastly different? It's a is, lot of what is the we're talking the astrology about. that Jamie's going to be talking about different than the astrology that say so so we just explain that kind of in microcosm but uh, but to put that a little more or a little more with a little more detail um the psychological perspective is largely the modern perspective okay so character analysis gotcha. would okay. be the key to looking at let's say a natal chart so so that being let me see if i can this is what i'm hearing when you when you explain that is that with when you were talking about the the algebra. Um, that's basically like there's there's these symbols that uh, these archetypes that are embodied in these symbols. Um, and they're they're in relation. They're, they're in different positions in the the cosmos. And there are uh, orders of operation as and, there are in the maths. And it's it's kind of deriving meaning. It's telling a story. Yeah. Of these these different characters in the story are in these different places in these different settings and these different. Um, like sets like sure. you were to play which is and so great. this certain play happens this certain story yeah. happens it's That's, highly yeah. artistic and highly interpretive and i love that even the psychological variety maybe even more so the psychological mm -hmm. variety right mm -hmm. but it's predicated on the idea that um to to some extent it's predicated on the idea that all of this is about me and my psyche mm -hmm. and the cosmos is a projection of projection of my psyche which is kind of arrogant right and um whereas traditional astrology hellenistic perso-arabic uh etc renaissance astrology these are <clears throat> more objectively like when we look at a natal chart we're not talking about the seventh house is how i feel about relationships the seventh house is like actually the relationship and other people and stuff yeah that's um, a great example you know so like mm -hmm. uh there's some there's some like objectivity to it and you can predict things you know which we'll probably get into on the in the next in part two of this but there's some uh it's not wholly psychologized now again that psychological perspective is important and they had a species of psychological astrology 2,000 years ago. Like, for instance, uh, Mercury is the rational mind. Mercury has always been known as the rational mind. The moon has always been known as the sort of irrational mind. Maybe not in those terms, but they understood that. Cellini, you know, whatever. It was those those ideas were still there and the first house was always to some extent the personality right even even if it was life and the physique it was still kind of the touchstone of the native which is the subject of a natal chart but these things have been um <clears throat> reduced over the last couple hundred years let's say into merely psychological things it's like mm -hmm. how i feel about this stuff so what has been resuscitated over the last 40 years or so 30 years is um an older uh ancient 
kind of perspective on astrology that happened because of translation projects like Pro Project Hindsight and Arhat and uh, James Herschel Holden from AFA here in Tempe. Um, these people started to um, translate Latin, Greek, Arabic critical editions, and all of a sudden we're reclaiming. This is an exciting yeah, it's time. it's recent. It's an exciting time in astrology. We're reclaiming so many lost techniques, and it, you know, every year there's something else is translated, and a new technique gets recovered or a new perspective. It's a fascinating time to be interested in astrology. You know what's a great example of that reduction, and you kind of hit on it is the the first house thing is like when you when you go to see an uh, an astrologer nowadays, maybe a modern astrologer. You, I feel like a lot of people know the word horoscope. Oh, I'm going to go get my horoscope read. Right. And that, that's, that is a reduct. The first, the first house mm -hmm. is the, a mere piece of the entire puzzle is the, the horoscope in ancient astrology. But now we've reduced astrology completely to, oh, I'm going to go get my horoscope read. So it's like things have gotten a little lazy, right? Um, some things have stuck and some things haven't and then and then things like depth psychology become popular around the same time that uh, astrology is is becomes a more more of a tabloid um, practice and that's kind of where we were at till like Jamie just said the last 30 years or so hmm. when a lot of these ancient texts, began to be translated into English, things like the CCAG and whatnot. So um, a lot of really interesting developments in the astrological tradition really happening as we speak. Yeah. So history. Should we get? Should we dive into the yeah, history? Yeah, I was trying to figure out where to go next, and I think that, that might be a good thing. So, so <clears throat> Well, I do also want to touch fate and free will. Oh, please! And objectivity and subjectivity. Let's let's but let's do history first. Okay. Yeah, let's let's, let's do go that. history then philosophy. Let's do history you do briefly. History, you know this. I don't know. Maybe I know philosophy better. History. Okay. History. Uh, the history's qu quite old. Like we said, I mean, most of what we, most of the t Hellenistic techniques that traditional astrologers will employ now are are about. 2000 years old and that's really when some some disparate uh techniques were synthesized pretty much under alexander the great's uh conquest let me do history through most of the world what is that wrong <laughs> no you're not wrong but well i'm giving the the 10,000 foot view don't stop me so okay, all right. <laughs> here's the deal you got a guy that conquers tons tons of the world right um and things that are developing, because we don't need to get too in the weeds with this. Right. And that's what I'm trying to avoid. Please don't. Yeah. Yeah. So mm -hmm. you've got um, uh, some Babylonian stuff and some Egyptian stuff and um, things, some techniques that are being developed independently um, for, for for quite hundreds of years prior to the, prior to the um, modern era or, or whatever you want to call it. Um However, they're really synthesized in uh, ancient 
Greek culture and um, and become extremely popular under um, or in in cities like what are they called cities? What are they called back a then? Polis, maybe. A polis. Yeah, I mean Alexandria being yeah. probably the the greatest of them all, but Rome and Tyre, the whole Greco-Roman thing. So, in a couple of sentences, um, you see in the first century BCE the the sort of expression of planets in signs in houses and how they are aspected. The first time you see those four major elements of astrology, planets, in signs, in houses, and their aspect relationships, the first time you see that is about 100 BCE. And that is a result of Egyptian horoscopic decanal proto-astrology and Mesopotamian sort of annual zodiacal omenic astrology. So you take these this, these ideas from Mesopotamia, which include omens and the zodiac, and you put them together with these Egyptian ideas, which include the decans and the horoscope, which is the horoscopos, the hour watcher, horoscopos. And you take those two ideas, essentially an annual and a diurnal idea, respectively, and you put them together, and then all of a sudden you get horoscopic astrology that consists of planets in signs in houses and how they are aspected and you get this at about at about the first century bce in largely in alexandria most of the action was centered in alexandria just the same place where we get hermeticism neoplatonism gnosticism uh the proto-kabbalistic traditions because of the jewish Jewish diaspora in Alexandria and these sort of ideas. So it's and that's not by mistake either it, because because astrology burgeoned and sort of was born in that same North African Alexandrian milieu of all of these different like basically platonized ideas yeah and the first idea of 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 us of a natal chart like we kind of understand it nowadays a birth chart. would have been yeah, yeah birth chart would have been about 300 years before that so around 400 bc right i don't the, know if they had an ascendant on those though. we get the first evidence of of natal astrology um yeah well you're right most most of 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 the charts that we literally still possess that we have today are from a, what I think about the first century CE and most of them include just the ascendant and the seven ancient planets exactly about almost 90% of the of the extant charts that we have from that this time only include the ascendant and the seven ancient planets, which, and again, we should stay away from too much of the of the, the the details details here, but um, which we can kind of deduce from there, and or at least it implies that whole sign house system would have been employed, and we might be able to get into that in the next. That's a next. Yeah, we're technique we're, thing, but um, hundred CE is really. Uh, explosion of, of chart reading and that's where a lot of our of our ex, that's charts that we still have today this is the kind from. of stuff that, that Plato would be familiar with right 
No, Plato no, wouldn't. Uh, he would have been long dead. Long dead. Okay. Okay. Yeah, there was no astrology in the in the days of Plato or Aristotle. There was zero astrology, because astrology means something, right? Astrology is a thing, and astrology, as we understand it, is planets in signs in houses and how they are aspected. Oh, I see. Okay. Those four major components, those constituent parts of astrology only come together in the first century BCE in Alexandria. Before that, there is no astrology. There is Omenic proto-astrology. There is uh, Egyptian sort of timekeeping decanal proto-astrology. There are are several species of proto-astrology, but they are not astrology until they consider... It is not astrology until Alexandria in the first century BCE. So, uh, yeah. so until all this Plenty stuff of comes together, would have been familiar. Okay. Oh, certainly the Neoplatonists were absolutely familiar. In yeah. fact, probably had a huge hand in uh, a lot of that early development. I mean, certainly, definitely had a huge hand. Like Porphyry, he was deeply involved yeah. in uh, I mean, astrological if, inquiry. If you, if you really want to get the meaty astrological stuff, though, something like the Poimandries is is great for that her uh, ancient hermetic texts are really where a lot of the great particularly the technical or gnostic stuff but yeah 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 for sure wow okay um so the the next thing we wanted to talk about was about fate and about um kind of those bigger ideals and how they philosophy the philosophy and how they kind of work into this you want to kind of trade back and forth again so i like um yeah i like doing that um so the idea of of there being you you asked about uh sympathies mm-hmm. the idea and the acceptance of the idea in that time that um what was happening celestially was related to what is going on terrestrially was um was huge, and there the implication there is that um, there's some level of determinism, as 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 in the, we can sort of make some predictions even about the the future to some extent because we know again to some extent if you have an affirmerist and you have all these tools in the development of this practice over time. You can predict things that might happen in the future um, because you know the movements of the planets. They're relatively stable over a long period of time. So um, this was a wrestle for philosophers, and there seemed to be like two prominent camps. Um, and this is like, again, really high level. It's not. It's, there aren't only two camps in terms of sure of of how to. Um, sort of rationalize um, astrology in your in one's life, but there was the acceptance of fate because fate was implied, right? If if the stars are telling us something about what's going on here, um, it seems like we're not fully in control. It seems like there's there's some level again of determinism that's going on, and there was there was both um, the acceptance of that of that more deterministic 
idea, which would have been your Stoics, your 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 um, philosophy of Stoicism, which is sort of accepting your fate to some extent. It's it and and a lot of Stoics would even um, go as far as to. Um, use astrology to determine what their fate was so that they could sort of get ready for their their own fate so that yeah. they could so that they could accept it and they knew what was coming at least so okay i'm okay i'm gonna be a stoic about it right and then over time develops um and and not in one place or one time but over over time develops the idea that you can mitigate the the ramifications of what's happening celestially in your own life and that would be theurgy that would be the practice of mitigating one's fate um, by way of an, a number of different techniques and again we'll save that for the technical side but so so there's and i'm gonna start there there's a camp of accepting one's fate and a camp of believing that there is there's some level of of of, uh, free will through mitigation. Free will through mitigation, exactly. Um, you also have, uh, and there's a there's a different major astrologers who who differ in their opinion on, um, who agree rather on being able to mitigate one's fate via via some sort of technique. However, they don't all agree on. Um, what, how you should employ it, or if you should employ it at all. Some say that um, you can do it, but you probably shouldn't. Um, like you're playing with fire, and then there are some that say, "Go for it." You know, that's that's kind of the goal is to figure out your daimon and all this, and and make an effort to um, become sort of the master of your own, take control of the the horse carriage, if you will, and and really become the the master of your own your own fate, right? What do you have to add to that? Well, philosophically, the idea that I like is Platonic, really, from 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 the tenth book of the Republic, uh, the Myth of Air, which we've talked about a lot, right? Which I looked up after our last episode. And, yeah, and yeah, was, we did talk was, about it. It was beautiful. Yeah, so we talked about that during our last episode. You should go back and listen oh. to it. But uh, you know, this is a proto astrological idea. But it's it feeds into the philosophy of astrology, particularly early astrology, is that the soul stands outside of the cosmos, outside the pre-incarnate soul is outside of the cosmos, outside of the seven planetary spheres, outside of the fixed stars in the zodiac, <clears throat> and it is coupled with a daimon, which is a tutelary entity entity like a genius like a personal genius the soul is coupled with the genius in this a causal eniatic sphere um, and then the daimon guides the soul into incarnation by penetrating the seven planetary spheres so saturn being the furthest one out the daimon guides almost psychopompically guides the soul down through Saturn, through Jupiter, through Mars, through the Sun, through Venus, through Mercury, through the Moon, and finally into incarnation in the terrestrial 
sublunary sphere, sublunary because it's below the moon. But at each one of those planetary gates, I guess you might say, or each one of these planetary entrances, as Plato called them, uh, there is a body of, of characteristics that the native or the subject of the natal chart takes on. So at each planetary sphere on our way into incarnation, this is a very central Platonic idea, on your way and my way into incarnation, we took on characteristics associated with each of those seven planetary spheres on our way down. So to give you an example of what that might look like, uh, Mars. Mars has a wide range of characteristics Positive, neutral, and negative. The positive might be things like bravery, courage, and valor. The neutral might be things like separation and energy. The negative might be things like violence and anger and, you know, um, aggression. So you get this scope of characteristics that are allotted to the native as his daimon or his or her daimon is guiding them through the planetary spheres, right? So then when you are born, there's a cosmic thumbprint, there is a stamp, and that is your natal chart. And your natal chart, ostensibly, or let's say theoretically, contains your character, Your it's your schematic of character. Because how you descended through those spheres and the condition of those planets at the time you descended dictates whether you get positive, neutral, or negative significations out of each of those planets. This, to me, is the most fascinating part of particularly natal astrology, is when the soul goes through those spheres, guided by the daimon, it takes on qualities associated to those spheres. And Jake, you brought up the uh, Hermetica, uh, you brought up uh, the Pymander, particularly, yeah. there's a part in the Pymander, it's 125, 124, 25, 26, I think it is, um, where where the soul is ascending through the spheres and it gives up a vice at each of the spheres. So that's the inverse operation, because what happens when you're born is you take on the qualities of specific qualities of each of those seven planetary spheres, for better or worse. And then, bam, you're born. And when you are born, that time is marked. And that, that chart is erected for that time, the natal chart, which is a schematic of your character. Now, here's the striking part. If you have the schematic of somebody's character in front of you as an astrologer, and you're proficient and you know how to read that, you can make predictions based on the character profile of the native. So, hence, astrology's predictivity. Sorry. Astrology is predictive because um, the native of a chart went, came down through these seven planetary spheres and, and kind of amassed these certain characteristics. Vices and virtues. Vices and virtues. So... To qualify this even further, we'll go back a little further to a pre-Socratic philosopher uh, called Heraclitus. And Heraclitus said, he said, ethos anthropos daimon. Ethos anthropos daimon means it's 
popularly translated as character is destiny. So character is destiny because any particular person in any given situation tends to act within the confines of their character. Think about that. And I'll say it again. Any particular person in any given situation tends to act within the confines of their character. So if you know somebody's character vis-a-vis their natal chart, then you can predict how somebody's going to act. Hence, the predictivity of natal astrology. That, that doesn't really... Is, that doesn't blow I mean, your mind? Well... <laughs> that should blow your mind. Well, I, I think I think the thing that... That was designed to blow, blow my mind. Uh, I think the thing that it... The, the rub for me then, I guess I'd say, is like the idea of... It doesn't really account for people evolving over their lifetime. Well, well here's the thing. Because I know I've certainly evolved over my life. This is the, and this it is does, this this I mean, is more a of a yeah. This might be more of a technique thing. In fact, we we'll, we will save it for technique. But this isn't a static picture. All things in the chart aren't happening all at once. There are there are timing text, techniques with which you can employ to figure out at what points in your life are certain topics going to be more prevalent at, at what points in your life are certain relationships going to be heightened at what points in your life or or on on a more microcosmic scale when when is going to be a better time for me to travel or when's going to be a better time for me to propose my right. so if you have a mercury are, venus opposition in your chart it isn't activated 24 7 throughout the course of your life right it's activated based on time lord techniques so there there isn't it they do account for the evolution of your life in in astrology and um, that's imp- implied from the start because again it's not static if you if you have a, but, a decent software you can animate a chart and you can see how is, is that, that i didn't mean to cut you off but no. so is that then implying then though that that i'm not evolving because i'm learning from my mistakes and i'm 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 and having new experiences well, this is for you to decide that, pat that it's that my that I'm fated to have do, doing those well, things is that pretty much here's what? here's what I like to think this is this is how I you know I've started to take clients here and there and this is this is how I tend to think about the the fate versus free will yeah argue because that, yeah let's essentially what we're getting at please I I think it's um there's there's a combination of both and Jamie was getting I think getting at that a bit but. Uh, With with respect to the what you were saying about the you act within the confines of your character, to. right? So what what I think is true for astrology is that it it and I still like the the paint color and the the picture analogy, but I want to get well, a little deeper than that. But say but, that what is that? I don't know what the analogy is. Is that you know astrology doesn't give you the painting, it doesn't give you the end product. It's not going to give you this right on the wall in front of us. However, it might give you the color palette. And, and it's going to give us not the entirety of the color spectrum that, that we're allowed. It's going to give us a, a relatively confined idea of, of what colors are going to make up the picture of your life. You still have to paint the painting, but you can't use colors that aren't in your palette, right? So I do like that analogy and that I think it, it 
really quickly and concisely gives one the the idea that there can be sort of a reconciliation between fate and free will. I think that we're we're fated in insofar as that there is there is a language and a, a set of rules with which we can act throughout our life, um, and that thing and also those rules define how things happen to us. Yeah, and like you can't be anything like. I can't be, and I just heard Christopher Warnock use this exact analogy in a podcast. He said, uh, I can't be an NBA player. He said, I'm 5'6", and I'm 51 years old. You know? So, like, like, yeah, make of your life what you will, and there are certain things you're going to be able to do and not going to be able to do. But, you know, I I thought that was a great argument. Well, I mean... You, I'm not going to be in the NBA. Just, just contemplating the idea of com- complete free will doesn't make a lot of sense. That's I, think- I create my own reality. So if we're saying I create my own reality, Danny Newman sent me a um, a meme a f- couple years ago, and it was you know that picture of the Vietnamese girl and she has no clothes on and she's running from this napalm blast. Yeah. Essentially, tragic, tragic picture. Underneath it. He wrote, I create my own reality, which is the popular, like, um, the secret based uh, idea about things. And that's and that's kind of the kind of where you you start to get into with the modern perspective. Is it like it is kind of like the secret, like all law of attraction. I can manifest anything I want. No, you couldn't jump to the moon right now, nor could you play in the NBA. It's impossible. There's a set of rules that define your existence there are rules but but what you're saying is some of those rules some of those rules are based upon well they apply to your character just as much as they apply to the circumstances of your life yeah it's not unreasonable pat i mean it's like if you think about it you know you can't do everything no i i get that i I just think there's kind of a yeah pat damn it come on come on what um no 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 do the do your biggest beef my biggest beef um well just for the listener i think it's important to to kind of summarize that again real quick is that there there really there really was the consensus that that our our existence is faded at least to some extent Mm -hmm. and that 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 we can deduce that from astrology itself that the that the technique and the algebra of astrology allows us to deduce the fact that there is a level of, of fate that we have to navigate. Now, what they did not agree on is how to navigate that. And the philosophies that differ m- amongst astrologers, traditional astrologers, really deal with that. Am I going to accept my fate? Or am I going to do something about it in terms of, am I going to do magic? Am I going to do theurgy? Well, wait. So by saying I'm going to do magic, you mean a certain thing. I know what you mean. You mean a certain thing by that. Maybe astrotheurgy to be specific about it. That you can mitigate. Let's say you have a gnarly uh, natal placement in your chart right you've got something that's uh not great like like in jeffrey Dahmer's chart i think he's got venus in the eighth house sex and death 
right? Just real quick, I did a whole delineation on Jeffrey Dahmer's charts on my Instagram. It's, I think it's pretty great. Oh, I want to see. Did yeah. you know that I just did one too? Oh, we should compare. Fuck, that's I crazy. Just did one? Did you see mine, Pat? Yeah, yeah. I did a blog post. I did a whole post as well. Oh my god, we got to check this out. I just did that and because you guys, I just you watched. Guys this didn't whole know list. that. No, we had no idea. Oh my god! All right, so go to read Jamie and my my yeah. delineation of Jeffrey Dahmer's chart. Crazy! I want to see that. And if there's any similarities, did you get the part about Aries and the head and him keeping heads? In oh his no, I did not get that. Yeah, there's some crazy shit. Damn. All right, well let's knock it off on. <laughs> Oh, I want That's to read cool, yours now. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Want to swap charts? Yeah, I do. <laughs> so um. So yeah, the the mitigation and the free will. Th- here's how I kind of have come to look at free will and determinism. Sure. Is that basically I'm taking the stance, and it's a modern stance of compatibilism. That it's compatible. Right. There are certain domains in which um, certain cycles are set in motion and they are going to cause causally play out. Like if you hit some dominoes, there's just some material causality. We're we're all agents in the universe that in the universe is cause and effect. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of cause and effect, but there's also the possibly the introduction of free agency in that schema right so these things can coexist right like let's say a billiards break you can you can choose that chironic moment the most fortuitous and and auspicious moment to break when you feel like you have the best amount of force on the cue stick and you feel like you're lined up with the with you know your cue ball and your break you know like when you feel like those metrics are in order, you can choose that chironic. I say chironic because of the Greek kairos, the most detrimental opportune time okay. as opposed to chronic time. You can choose that chironic moment to break. But after you break, those balls are going to do what they're going to do. You know what I mean? And that's causality. So you get some, you can set cycles in motion. But you can't necessarily control how those cycles are going to play out. Right, because your, your stick could be warped and the, the table could be... There's lots of metrics, right? Not. There's lots of things you can never account for, for with all the math right. in the world. You know, it's I don't believe that we live in some like Newtonian mechanistic cosmos where everything is quantifiable. I'm sorry. There's mystery and numinosity in the cosmos that we can never account for. Right. And every human being, I believe, is contributing to this sort of balance between chaos and cosmos. Cosmos means order. Cosmos means Mm -hmm. like. The, an ordered model or system, whereas chaos, you know what that means. But chaos and cosmos, two ancient ideas, right? Always at play with each other, you know? Always kind of um, giving and taking and breathing, you know? So there's the, there's this essential compatibilistic idea that chaos and cosmos are always in this dialogue, 
you know and i think that's the case and i think that's the solution of the free will and determinism problem and astrology taught me this where i'm at today with it at least i've probably changed my mind in six months but where i'm at today with it compatibilism chaos cosmos free agency determinism they're all real clearly they're all real you know in a certain domain in in their lane they're real you know so and and they they're compatible and they expand off each other in their in their lane what do you mean by that what do you give me is there an example you can give me to to, to make that well i think that go, to, that we can kind of harken back to the character you act within your character thing okay. right mm-hmm. you you tend to you tend to stay within your own lane right there are there are certain things if we looked at your chart right now that i could that i could um tell you might be or or i, I think i would have more confidence to say that it might be i would probably say that will rather um, be your predispositions in terms of maybe how you communicate, um, how you how you view relationships, one on one relationships. I think I might be able to see within a chart um, how you generally uh, how the topic of say your career uh, trends throughout your life. Uh, so it, to, I mean, pick a topic and I can generally define the lane with which you will stay in. So it's not so much as that there's one grand lane. It's, it's a lot more, uh, nuanced than that. Um, however, I think that with, within those nuances and that's kind of exactly what you're saying Yeah, is that there's a lot of chaos in in the the kind of grand scheme of things of a chart especially when you you're you're looking at it from a fifty thousand foot view but it's it's almost like the more you zoom in and the and the closer you you and and this is this is where a dialogue is important between the native and the the astrologer is that the more you can hone in on certain topics um the the easier it gets for the the astrologer to to define necessarily how you might interact with uh, certain topics or how certain topics play out, played out in your in life. your life, yes. Yeah. So, I well, well, we, let's go into the because I I have an idea of where it might be cool to go now. Well, we should. We're at an hour. You want to save it for part two? Um, let's get ten more minutes. Yeah, in. Okay. I'm going to ask everyone to hang on for ten more minutes. Ten more minutes. 10 more minutes. Pat, what do you got? Well, I, I mean, I, I think this, I think we talked about something um, weeks ago about uh, kind of doing a, a fun experiment. Yeah. Right? Is that what kind of where you were going with this? What are you guys no. talking about? Oh, no, no, but let's okay. do it. All right. Well, what were you going to say then? Let's, I want to hear it. Well, um, I, I was just going to make mention that. Um, the the classical tr- tradition is also a, uh, is very much tied in with the scientific tr- tradition of of antiquity in that um, things like op- Greek optical theory and ge- geometry um, are are all and and maths really I mean all these things play into the function of 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 a natal chart. And it's it's not just 
this sort of um, or any chart, a mundane chart, an yeah. electional chart, uh, charts, charts are a very horary much, chart. Charts are very much driven by the scientific ideas of antiquity as well. So, so it's not just some spacey sort of religious idea. I mean, this was it's not merely symbolic. Plus, even even way back, Ptolemy was an Aristotelian astrologer. T- Ptolemy used he astrology. He was a natural to, philosopher. Exactly. He, yeah, he th- he believed astrology was causal, was materialistic, scientific. He believed that there were interactions between the spheres that came down and ha- were manifest in the on the terrestrial plane, and yeah. it was science. This was not an esoteric thing. Yeah, so that's the huge point, right? So it's only until we get to the Enlightenment, and we've talked about this before, mm-hmm. at the Enlightenment. Uh, astrology and astronomy are cleaved away, right? Because before that, they were one thing. So what you get, the Enlightenment project meant that the quantifiable and the qualifiable were cleaved, and you merely get the, the quantifiable. That's it. So anything that's acceptable must be quantifiable, must be measurable, weights and measures or whatever you know it must be repeatable it must be falsifiable it must scientific be all these method. things yeah. scientific method which which does not contain the numinous mysterious qualitative elements of astrology you know which which did fine for you know 1700 years you know everybody was cool with that until they decided to, and then the Enlightenment people, whoever these, you know, people were, uh, said that the, it was fine to cleave away the quantifiable and the qualifiable, and um, and we're merely going to go with what can be uh, weighed and measured and quantified. All anything that's that's merely sensible yeah. is what's relevant to society post-enlightenment so somebody decided that for you pat somebody somebody was like yeah we're not going to worry about any of that stuff that's a little more numinous and and you know mysterious uh we're just going to go with you know and yeah there's a huge problem there that and it's so anti-pythagorean too you know i I don't know i i guess the way i i might see it is a little different that um you know that those those things maybe were were together at one point and then to 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 focus to to focus you know energy and thought on, on solving problems and learning about the world that we're in that that they they were separated those people and, and you, still believed in god but, right they you, still you, went to church and you, prayed you still you don't, you, you, you still don't get pray. to what you don't pray if you if you're if you're some hardcore atheistic materialist. There's no sense going to a church. Well, I don't, don't say I don't you think, believe in I God. I don't think just because maybe you you study chemistry or you study astronomy doesn't mean doesn't rule you out from. It's so from hypocritical also, and arrogant. See, I don't think so at all. Hypocritical and arrogant. The reason why but you can't you can't you can't you can't be a, a scientist as well as like believe in a higher power. You absolutely can, but you can't denigrate people who don't who who believe in something more. Well, no, I, I think you're total. It's it's. I think uh, the the there's there's the things that we learn about the natural world, and then there's the things that that are are greater than that, 
And you, you, and it's everybody's. You've never seen Neil deGrasse Tyson? <clears throat> oh, absolutely! And how brutal yeah. he is to totally. people who are yeah. not atheistic materialists. Yeah, absolutely. He's I an have, asshole. Yep. I would. He's I would. Ag- I would agree. <laughs> he is fucking the worst. <laughs> I hate his smug, arrogant. We're starting beef with Neil deGrasse <laughs> on the pod. Can't wait, stand his face. Oh, wait, I I think I have a because we we really should. Um, yeah, we've and let's wrap okay, this okay, one up okay. and move into technique. But well, I think, but I think a good bridge for technique is something I thought of earlier, and I think is a good question to pose as we move into technique. There's and th- and what ties both the philosophy and the technique together, in my opinion, is something called the Thema Mundi. Yeah, let's talk about that. So the Thema Mundi next it, time is the is what we call the birth chart of the world. And my question is, and I, I just thought of this today, is that the birth chart of the world, the Thema Mundi, is actually impossible. The placements, the placements on the Thema Mundi are actually impossible because Mercury and Venus. because of Mercury and Venus and how they they actually can't escape um, a certain degree from the sun in ter- in terms of their proximity to the sun and on the Thema Mundi they're too far away from the mm-hmm. sun. Twenty eight and forty seven. So what what what's interesting is the Thema Mundi is also referred to as as the birth chart of God. Really, the birth chart of, of our of our creator. So my question is, as we move into technique, because really the Thema Mundi is is going to be the foundation for so much of the rationale of what of what comes after, is that ha- in my opinion, they were smart enough to know that the Thema Mundi was physically impossible. So is the implication there that rulership um, and aspect doctrine well before that prior to that oh you guys are getting way no yeah that's no this isn't two in the two in the weeds the question is prior to any sort of aspect any doctrine the impossibility of the thema mundi does that imply the the sort of incomprehensibility of god Uh, that's interesting let's let's take that up next time all right, so yeah. that's we're gonna do part two now, which we're gonna get into actually some of the weeds here. So we're gonna get into the technique of 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 classical astrology. See you next time. Bye. See you in part two. Bye. <laughs>